This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Next up, we have Ian Power, Chief Investment Officer from Truffle, managers of the Ned Group Investments Balanced Fund and the Ned Group Investments Managed Fund. Now, it's been managed by Empower and the te- an investment team at Truffle since its inception in 2011. And since that inception date, with an annualized return of 11.5%, we're, co- we're confident that can, Truffle can continue the stellar performance through their 10-year anniversary in November later this year. Truffle CIO Ian Power will be taking stock of the main contributors to performance in 2020 and the current investment environment and how this translates into portfolio positioning. So on that note, Ian, I'd like to hand over to you to, to run us through your slides. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Fantastic, guys. Well, thanks a lot and welcome everyone and hopefully i can give you some insights into how we're thinking we've obviously had quite a good run over the last uh, couple of years and i guess uh, i'll touch on a lot of the issues that some of the other speakers have spoken about but uh, really giving you some sense of how we're seeing the world and uh, from a fun perspective how we expect to take advantage of uh, current opportunities so i think the first thing to say is really that risk assets have uh, recovered nicely post the crisis and i'm not sure if many of you've seen this cartoon it's of a covid peter pan you can see he's put on quite a bit of weight and he's taking little michael darling out to to never never land which is which is wall street in this case and this really made me laugh because you know when i looked at it it almost sort of brings home the the stark reality of, of, I guess, what's happened to financial markets and, and risk asset prices vis-a-vis, you know, what we are seeing and how we're all feeling in terms of the real world. And I think, you know, there is certainly quite a big disconnect there, but we will, I will take you through some of the reasons why we have what we have today. So I think, as, as Rob mentioned, the fund really has done well, and you can see it ranks as the best balanced fund in its class over, or certainly since inception, and one can see that over the various time periods comfortably in the top quartile and over the last year delivering an 11.5% return, which is pretty much in line with with our sort of decade track record. So we're pretty proud of that and very proud of certainly the last three years where one can see the sector, if you look at the sector average, you know, barely managing to deliver a 4% return. So I think that that's positive, but it's all about going forward. You know, where do we see returns going forward? And, you know, when one looks at the scorecard, one can see some of the contributors to, to returns, and many of these would have been positive contributors over previous years. NASPAS has been a stock which we've liked for, for quite some time, and one can see that's come through quite nicely. Our PGM, Precious Metal Holdings, African Rainbow Minerals, Sabanya, as well as Impala, We've been holding these stocks for, for sort of three years. We, you know, we bought into Impala Platinum at a price of 18 Rand a share. To give you an idea, today the share price is 219 Rand a share. So, you know, a 10 bagger. And, uh, you know, from a truffle point of view, we picked up these shares pretty much close to the bottom in terms of seeing the, I guess, the deficits that were developing. And, you know, from a valuation point of view, really, there was extremely 
an extreme amount of, of upward skew in terms of the return distribution for many of these shares. So that's been that's been a pretty good uh, investment for us. And you know, if, even even from today going forward, these valuations and free cash flow yields that you're seeing from many of these businesses are still fairly attractive. And we think that you know perhaps the shape of the return will will differ in that uh, we're likely to get double-digit dividend yields from many of these companies, but we still think you'll get some capital appreciation. From a detractor point of view, our, our gold position, uh, even though we sold all of our gold fields in Harmony and did well, we unfortunately didn't reduce enough of our Anglo gold. That was a slight detractor. And then you know some of the local shares, the likes of APSA and Netcare, also detracting slightly. And then some smaller detractors from our platinum and uh, our Spur Bank position, which has subsequently recovered in in January, which is up quite nicely. So, what are the factors that are are supporting equity markets? Equity markets, as I've said, have been relatively buoyant, and some of the big, I guess, structural issues behind them is the unprecedented amount of fiscal stimulus, which is really very easy to pass today compared to perhaps five years, 10 years ago, where you wouldn't have been able to pass such extreme fiscal stimulus to support the economy and replace income from people who have been affected by COVID. And on top of that, you've got very, very dovish central bank policy and more so from the US where they seem to be moving towards a framework where they are happier with inflation running a little bit higher than lower. And there's certainly no expectation of Fed fund rate moving up into 2023. So so this is pretty positive. Short-term inflation expectations remain pretty low, and this has really created a Goldilocks environment for risk assets. On top of that, you've got a very powerful earnings recovery given the collapse in the earnings base of many companies into COVID, where you're now going to see that recovery starting to come through. And obviously, financial markets are discounting machines. They look forward. And as a consequence, share prices have rallied in anticipation of that earnings recovery, which is still to come. From a vaccination perspective, as we were saying to you at the end of last year, we were expecting a vaccine-led rally. We were positioned for that from an asset allocation point of view, and now it's starting to roll out. So as long as this process continues to roll, it gives confidence in terms of some return to a normal growth environment for the rest of the world in H2 of 2021 and in the first half of uh, 2022. China, obviously, being a command and control economy, has really been amazing in the way in which they have dealt with COVID, and as only a China could. And I think that's been a massive beneficiary for many of the resource-producing countries like South Africa, where we're getting the benefit of that powerful investment demand, and that's pulled up commodity prices, helping many of our resource shares to hit new highs. And we've obviously had significant positions in the portfolio. So if we just look at our top 10 holdings, we certainly have a bigger value emerging market bias to our portfolio at the moment. So our top holding is the MSCI shares emerging market value ETF. We switched most of our straight emerging market exposure into the value ETF. We've mostly exited most of our U.S. exposure. You can see Nuspastel in the top 10. Our PGM positions, Sabanya, Impala, African Rainbow, and Northam, all in the top 10. And then you can see Vivendi, which has really done well for us, the stock of a high-quality business benefiting from disintermediation from a technology point of view, has, has done nicely for us. And then our Japanese ETF has also 
been a particularly good performer. So the portfolio is very much skewed towards a value tilt where we have taken positions in companies which are exposed to a cyclical economic recovery, which we expect to gather momentum in the second half of this year as the vaccine rollout becomes more entrenched and as we all get back to perhaps life as we used to know it. From a portfolio point of view, just looking at the equity exposure, uh, everything on the left-hand side of the graph is more SA-focused, and you will know from a truffle perspective, we have been quite cautious on SA Inc. for over the last three years, picking up many of the structural issues and concerns in terms of South Africa's lower GDP per capita growth and how we dislocated from the rest of the world. And we put a lot of our capital into many of the stocks and the foreign bigger companies which are exposed to the global economy. In other words, they might dig resources out the ground here, but they're certainly selling those products to big global customers. And that's really how the portfolio has benefited. So, yes, we are, we are underweight banks. We are underweight insurers. We've been quite cautious on the on the property sector for the last three years, but there's been one or two stock specific uh, situations which we identified in COVID that we took advantage of. We bought quite a big position in high prop at 18 rand a share. That is almost double for us, and we picked up similar positions in Nepi Rock Castle and Vukili, all of which have rallied strongly for us. We remain underweight the SA Industrials and retail as well as telcos and prefer many of the mining cyclical sectors. Foreign and dual listed you'll see now is underweight and that's just really because we've exited our Richemont position which has done really well for the fund and for clients. We think it's a little bit expensive at the moment and we prefer to recycle that capital into cheap opportunities. Naspass and process I've spoken about, gold we largely neutral. We have a small overweight in Sassel and just to remind you we invested in Sassol at between 40 and 50 rand a share during the COVID crisis. We really felt that it was just too cheap and was a very, very cheap call option on the, on the oil price. And that stock is up four or five times for us, which has also contributed nicely to our alpha. The PGM positions, all of you who are invested with Truffle will know that we've been in these shares with significant weights for the last three years. They've really done nicely for us. Uh, we have taken slight profits in the sector, but remain fairly heavily invested. The diversified miners also have done well for us. We've recently started to take a little bit of profits, but you know valuations are still fair, and we still expect pretty decent dividends and uh, free cash flow yields uh, are attractive in that sector. SAPI, under other, is a small cyclical, which we have a tiny position in. It's also rallied quite nicely. It's up about 100% from the bottom. And one can see how the portfolio is positioned in favor of global economically cyclical companies to the extent of the SA equity carve-out. And we are underweighting many of the SA Inc. names and using that capital to invest in those offshore or resource companies, given many of the structural issues which at Truffle we have been talking about for the last three and a half years facing the SA economy. So we maintain fairly heavily overweight positions in the resource sector. We think global RAND hedge stocks, the likes of NASPAS, BTR, many of these businesses are good quality businesses and offer good value. And then, you know, notwithstanding the fact that some of the SA-focused stocks have recovered, there are selective opportunities. But having said that, we have taken profits in some of the SA opportunities that we bought during COVID 
just because we are concerned about the long-term position and ability of SA companies to grow. So, you know, to, to, to summarize from an SA perspective is the SA Inc. opportunity is really going to depend on government action and decisive action. But unfortunately, COVID is going to saddle SA's economy with a significant amount of debt where there is no real productive asset that we've got in exchange for really blowing up our balance sheet. So, so the long-term prognosis for, for the RAND is very, very difficult. Cautious on the property sector, but there's some selective stock opportunities, and we expect volatility to remain high. And many of you will know that we've managed volatility quite well, and certainly you know, we have been taking some profits and rolling in some hedges, given the very strong, powerful returns that we've seen over the last four odd months. But broadly, we remain pretty positive on risk assets going into 2021. So from an asset allocation point of view, the fund's got almost 70% of its capital invested in offshore or offshore names. Some of our SA Inc. names are also second level RAND hedges, so that's probably a little bit higher. But you can see a very well diversified portfolio 24% foreign equity, much of that foreign equity has now been switched in favor of cyclical, economically cyclically exposed companies, which have a value tilt. Our foreign JSC listed companies making up 9% of the portfolio, and you can see mining and resources still dominating at just under 30% of the fund. We do have, just in the last week or so, have rolled in some domestic hedges, and, and that's just really to lock in some really fantastic gains that we've had over the last four months. Domestic fixed income, 13-odd percent. Whilst the yield curve is very, very steep and there's not much return offer on the short end of the curve, we are finding better value in that sort of five to 10-year space, but we're very hesitant of going out longer duration just because of SA's precarious fiscal position, which I think is going to be illustrated in the upcoming budget in February, specifically when we look at the tax collections. And I think that's really going to highlight the precarious position that uh, South Africa finds itself in. So I hope that gives you a sense of the fund. Um, you know, it's a quick helicopter overview. We we fairly positive on risk assets, but I think a lot more positive on those businesses which are exposed to the global economy. And we certainly have a bigger emerging market and value tilt to the portfolio compared to what we've had over the last couple of years. And we think that should deliver pretty decent returns for our clients. So, yeah, happy to uh, take any questions um, if there are any from any of the people listening. Thanks very much, Ian. And I'd like to, we do have a short amount of time. We're running slightly behind, but I'd like to just pick your brains on, on actually on, on the global side of things. And we see that you've, you're holding a couple of ETFs there in the portfolio. So would you just touch on how you go about, one, how you go about generating offshore ideas, but then also why and when you might use ETFs in place of direct stocks? Yeah. So I think from a from an offshore stock selection perspective, what we do is we use a filtering process where we filter uh, based on certain criteria, looking for companies with certain attributes. So obviously valuation is one. But the other one is, uh, you know, businesses that deliver decent returns on invested capital through the cycle, decent cash flow conversion. You know, they, they have a solid business or moat, which one can see in terms of their, their returns over time. Uh, even though the cycle may not be in favor right now, one needs to be able to see that through the cycle, that that is the experience. And then, and then obviously, importantly, to be able to buy into that compounding machine at an appropriate price. 
So we use that to generate stock-specific ideas. And if one looks at the, some of the offshore shares in our portfolio, that's what you'll see. Likes of Vivendi, likes of Cigna, Heidelberg Cement. There's many, many examples where you can see decent businesses which were just really trading on bombed-out valuations where their underlying fundamentals were fairly positive. But on top of that, one also gets the benefit of using low-cost ETFs to, to access sectors and, I guess, countries where one feels that the prospects are starting to improve. And if one just looks at the discount that generally emerging markets are trading at relative to many of the developed markets and a lot of these sexy growth shares and tech shares, those discounts are extreme to say the least. So the forward multiple of the EMI shares value ETF that we hold is around about 11 and a half times. That would compare to the forward multiple of MSCI world growth of 31 times. Now, we're going into an economic global recovery cycle on the back of the vaccine, and we're going to see quite a powerful recovery for many of the value shares and the economically sensitive shares. And the ETF gives you a nice, easy way to get big exposures to many of those Asian countries where almost 80% of that ETF is exposed to Asia, and you're getting exposures to good businesses, you know, Samsung, many of the semiconductors, some auto manufacturers as well as you know, some selective uh, high-quality financials with the likes of a ping-on insurance, which we also hold in the portfolio. So I think we are expecting as long bond rates slowly rise towards the back end of this year and into next year from a U.S. point of view, as that discount rate rises, we think that those growth shares, which are going to be the most impacted by rising long yields, should not do as well as many of the EM shares, which are cheap, and those shares which have bigger exposure to the underlying global economic cycle. And that's really the reason for using the ETFs as well as choosing some you know, attractively priced stocks in those same geographies. Thanks very much, Ian. Uh, th this is going to be quite tough for you, but if you could give us a short one-minute answer on, on, on my next question. The fixed income exposure, we didn't talk too much about that, but you, you know, you've done extremely well in local and offshore fixed income exposure for end investors. Would you just touch on, you know, very quickly on current thoughts there, current positioning, and you've been trimming some of your foreign, foreign bonds as well? That's right, Rob. So from an offshore fixed income point of view, we had big positions in some of the tier two SA Bank dollar-denominated debt, which we bought between 6.5% and, and almost 7% yields in dollars. Those yields came all the way into sort of 45 4.3%. So we not only picked up quite a nice coupon of 6% plus in dollars, but also benefit from a very attractive capital appreciation. So, you know, those instruments delivered almost equity-type returns with a much lower volatility than what you would have seen from, from some of the other equities. But notwithstanding those, we felt that those lower yields now at these levels, we wanted to rotate some of that fixed income exposure into some of the bombed out EM names that I've mentioned. And as a result, we've been picking up exposure, as I've showed you, to many of the emerging markets, some of the European markets where valuations look a lot more attractive and hence the lower fixed income, offshore fixed income in favor of higher offshore equity. From an SA perspective, I think, you know, many of the earlier speakers have highlighted, you know, what we've been talking about for the last three years, which is SA is on a path where its current 
fiscal position is unsustainable and either government has to cut its expenditures or it has to boost growth. But in the absence of both, we are running towards some sort of financial crisis. And I think that tail risk is certainly there. And I think we're going to see when the budget is uh, delivered, the huge impact on the tax receipts and the, I guess, difficulty that government is going to find itself in terms of funding its current exposures. And unfortunately, as the interest cost grows on this increasingly bigger burden of debt, it crowds out other productive investment expenditure. So you almost go into a downward spiral. So so that's really the reason why we would be very cautious and fearful and saying to investors who optically might be looking at those 20, 30 year SA bonds and saying those yields of 11, you know, odd percent look attractive. And yes, they might. But I want to see investors who are prepared to hold that note to its duration, to its maturity in 30 years and live through maybe losing 50% of your money in the short term until such time as you pull to pass. So I think there's there's a reason to be a bit cautious on the long end of the of the fixed income curve, and there's a potential of losing some some capital into an environment where investors increasingly see the vulnerability of South Africa's fiscal position. Ian, thank you very much. That was a comprehensive answer in a short period of time. So thanks very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And that's all we have time for with Ian Power today. But the good news is we have uh, got him to agree to do a monthly short webinar with us called The Balanced Perspective, which will be happening on the first Tuesday of every month going forward, where Ian will be, be talking to us about his current views on certain themes and perspectives on markets, local and global markets. So please be sure to look out for that. Thank you very much, Ian. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.